three years ago on a winter day, and you know how it is in Kansas. It can't be enough that the temperature is frigid. We have to have a 40-mile-an-hour wind to go along with it, right? So we were over at Costco, Mary Alice and I. We bought our groceries, and there weren't many cars in the parking lot because smart people weren't grocery shopping that day. But as we were getting ready to push our cart out to the car and put our groceries in, in, in the car, I, I noticed something. And out in the middle of the parking lot all by itself was a brand-new Lexus top-of-the-line SUV. I mean, it was brand-new. And I realized that the people had parked out there because they wanted to make sure they didn't get any door dings. But then, and you've seen this before if you're from Kansas, I noticed that as this 40-mile-an-hour wind was blowing, all of a sudden a shopping, shopping cart came out of nowhere. And I don't know how shopping carts can do this, but the parking lot can be empty with one car and that... It's kind of a Murphy's Law kind of thing, right? And this cart had caught the wind. I mean, now it was like accelerating and heading for, heading for this new SUV straight for it. And all, I don't know why I did it. I mean, just for a moment, I felt this twinge of altruism because I thought about what it would be like to own that car and come back and say, what in the world happened to my car? And I did something. I didn't, didn't think about it a whole lot, but I broke into a dead sprint. I mean, I was breaking it, and I, I thought there's no way in the world I can catch this, this cart, but I was just running. And I mean, it was like I was picking up speed, and, and I think I covered that hundred in about nine flat. <laughs> the rest of the sermon is true. And, <laughs> and, and, and even though I didn't think I was going to catch it, I mean, as I sprinted, I just, about, it was about six inches left to go. I caught that shopping cart, and I stopped it, and I was so proud of myself until suddenly I felt my ride Achilles. Oh, I didn't tear it, but I don't know what I did. It was really, really bad because for the next year and a half, I struggled with that Achilles and every step I took was painful. And I can remember so many times I would come up to the campus here at New Spring for the weekend and I would walk from my car and people would see me in the parking lot and they'd say, hey, Mark, you're limping. Yeah, yes, I was. But here's the thing that really got to me. You know, I, I live in a house like many of you live in. We have, here in Kansas, we have main floors, and then we have finished basements, and I have a really nice finished basement, and all the fun stuff in my house is in the basement. I mean, I have an office down there where I work, and then I have the big screen TV where I go watch the Cowboys lose. They won last night. This age of miracles is not over. But uh, the problem that I have is with my Achilles, I couldn't navigate stairs. And I, I couldn't go downstairs, and I couldn't come back up because every step I took was painful. The next thing I noticed was I just wasn't even visiting the basement. I was living on the main level. I left to go to the Y in Andover and work out, and, and, but I couldn't work out anymore because every machine I was on, everything I did was painful. I quit going. And here's what I learned about not being healthy, and that's what this series is about, is that any time in our lives, in any aspect of our lives where we're not healthy, our world shrinks. And now that I'm healthy again and God has healed me, I've discovered that my world has begun to expand again. Thanks to a kindness of a friend here at New Spring, I wound up a few days ago hunting birds two days. And, and you know what it's like. All of you who are bird hunters, you know, you're upland bird hunters, you know, you got to do a lot of walking, walk for miles, and, and not always on easy terrain, but I had no problems because I was enjoying it. My world had expanded. And now I find myself going back and doing all the things that I love because now that my ankle is healthy, my Achilles is healthy, my world is expanding again. Why do I bring that up? Because in America, we use expressions like, well, if you got your health, you got everything. Or we can look at the converse side of that and say, if we lose our health, we've lost everything. But what I discover is Americans oftentimes will, will venture viewpoints, but without ever unpacking it and thinking about why they make that statement. And I really believe that what I brought up today is why health is so important. Because the healthier you are, the more you're able to do. When we have lack of health in our lives, our world shrinks. Now, this series isn't just about getting in your swimsuit by July. 
Now, we are going to talk about physical health, but we're going to talk about all kinds of health in this series. For the next eight weeks, we're going to talk about emotional and mental health. We're going to talk about financial health. We're going to talk about marriage health and relationship health. And it's true in all those areas. Think with me for a moment. You know, if you deal with emotional issues like I do, I have an emotional disorder, I have an anxiety disorder, I have ADD, probably a lot of other letters I don't know about yet. But I know this, I know that when I've gone through a really tough season with my emotions, my world shrinks. I mean, the worst time I ever experienced was eight years ago when I just went through an exhaustion collapse. And for about 14 weeks, I wasn't even able to be here. I didn't get to preach Christmas Eve. I didn't get to start the New Year's series that I love so much. You know why? Because I was a long way away, thankfully, with Mary Alice in a condo, and my world pretty well shrank to that condo. I didn't want to listen to music. I didn't want to watch football on television. I, had, I didn't really want to talk to anybody. It was just I had gone through an emotional difficulty, and what I discovered is my world shrank. But when I got better, my world got bigger again. Hey, it's true financially, isn't it? If you're financially healthy, you can do all kinds of things. But man, if, if you're not financially healthy, you discover that your world shrinks. For one thing, you don't want to pick up your phone because it's a bill collector. You don't want to go out to your mailbox because they're going to be overdue notices. You know, you got that credit card and you said to yourself, hey, I can make minimum payments. But now all of a sudden those minimum payments look like maximum payments. And you're discovering there are things you'd like to do but you can't do because you're not financially healthy. Do you understand the construct of all this? That when you're healthy, your world expands. And when you're not healthy, your world shrinks. And see, when Jesus came into our world, he said, I came to give you life and I came to give it to you to the max. So what I hear from that and what I've been hearing as I've been preparing for this series for about six months is I hear that God wants you to be healthy in all these areas so that you can live life to the full the way God wants you to live life. Now, I want to begin the series with this message. It's called Let's Get Healthier. And hey, in the essence of full disclosure, for probably a couple of months, I really wanted to call this series Healthier. I'll tell you why. The truth be told, I don't know that any of us will ever get to the place of perfect health. And then beyond that, we have certain limitations and in some cases, disorders and illnesses. And we're never going to, see, we're never going to get to that perfect place of healthy. So if you hear this series title as healthy, as in an unattainable goal, my fear is that you'll check out. I really want to call it healthier because here's what I do know. I know that regardless of where you are in your physical health, marriage health, financial health, you can all get healthier. I can get healthier, right? I have a great marriage, but I want to be healthier. I have many blessings in life, and even though I'm not rich, I'm blessed financially, but I want to get financially healthier. And so today's talk is not really one of the installments of the series. I'm just going to introduce the series in a message called Let's Get Healthier. I try to live my life according to biblical principles. A principle is one of God's truths that you can plug in any area of your life, and it will work. I'll give you an example. Um, the, we talked about this in U Times too. The principle of planting and harvesting. That's a principle of God. You don't even have to be a believer for planting and harvesting to work. You know, if you want kindness, then you plant kindness. If you want generosity, then you plant generosity. If we plant, if, if we plant unkindness, then we'll reap unkindness. It's just a principle of God's universe. You can plug it in any area of your, of your life and it will work. It's a principle. It's not a thou shalt or thou shalt not. It's a principle. And then uh, another example is servant leadership. If you want to be great, be willing to be a servant, right? If you, want, if you want to be important, then be willing to do the little jobs. That's a principle of Christ that works in any situation. So today, 
we're just going to look at some biblical principles because one thing I do know that when the 7,000 of you meet here at New Spring on a weekend, you didn't drive the hour, two hours, three hours, even four hours that some of you drive to be here. You didn't drive all that way to hear my opinion. You drove to hear a word from God. And so what I want to do today is I want to talk about you having your best life and that's what we want. We want to be our very best. We don't, want to, we don't want to mail it in. We don't want to get to the end of our lives and think, well, I never really got to see what I could have been. What we're going to learn today biblically is how to have our best life. But before we get started, I need to give you a construct. And I don't, I've tried to explain this three times. I'm not sure I've ever been successful, but I'm going to try it again because I know what I'm going to say is so important to our series. You ready? Here's the first line. Truth is always uphill. A lie, you can fall backward into a lie, can't you? But truth is always uphill. And you have to have truth in order to be healthy. That means health will not come naturally. See, here's the thing. Oftentimes, we struggle with health because the things that we need to do in order to be healthy are challenging. And so, you know, in an American way of life, it's sort of like, oh, I'm just going to go by feel. I'm going to go by what I feels right. What feels right. Well, the problem with that is that almost all the stuff that just feels easy is not going to lead to health. I'll give you an example. It's not difficult for me to go to the, I won't name it because I'm on television, it's not easy for me to go, I mean, not hard for me to go to the donut place with the, when the lights come on. <laughs> they just came out of the grease. I mean, it's not, it's not hard for me to do that. I don't have to think a whole lot. I don't, I don't have to like think, okay, now boy, I really do like liquid sugar. Um, <laughs> I don't have to like think about it. I mean, it's like my car over on Central, I'm not gonna name it. My, <laughs> my car will just go to the place. It's not hard. It's not hard for me to spend too much money. You know, as long as I've got a credit card and I go there and there's a sell on, it's not hard. I mean, I can fall backward into that. All the stuff that makes us unhealthy, it's easy. It's not uphill. Truth is always uphill. Health won't come naturally. Here is the third, and this is so important. I wish I could just like sound, you know, I wish we could have an orchestra play right now because this is so important. In order to succeed at being healthy, you will need continual messaging. This, this is why a lot of times we do real well at the beginning of the year because we start listening to those messages that tell us the truth in order how, how to be healthy. And we're like, we get a personal trainer or something like that. And that personal trainer, she's speaking truth into us. And so all of a sudden at first, man, we're ready to go. We're ready to charge hell with a squirt gun. But after a while, we stop listening to the messaging because we say, I got it now. Hey, I've been pastoring 42 years, been here at New Spring almost 34 years. I've had so many, many hundreds of people who were in catastrophic situations tell me, Mark, it all started when we got out of church. Is that because New Spring Church has some sort of magical effect to protect your life? I mean, there's the power of God and there's spiritual blessing, but here's why it went wrong for them. They got out of the continual messaging of truth and they lapsed into stuff that was easy to believe. What I've discovered about my life, whether it's health or finances or marriage, anything that's true that will lead me to health is always uphill. Therefore, I have to have continual messaging. I need to hear it all the time in order for me to continue doing good things. This will hand you a laugh. At least Mary Alice kind of laughs at me good-naturedly. You know what I do on Sunday afternoons after I speak four or five times? I go home and watch sermons all afternoon. And Mary also, you know, she'll kind of laugh at me. She'll say, hey, you've already preached four or five times, but you're watching sermons all afternoon. You know why that is? 
I want somebody to speak to me. I want somebody to preach to me. I want somebody to speak truth in my life. I need to hear that because if I don't hear it, I'm going to lapse into the stuff that I'll fall backward into and I won't be healthy because truth is always uphill and health doesn't come naturally. And in order to be healthy, we need to have continual messaging. And so my prayer is that you will go on this journey with me. And I know there will be a lot of things over the next eight weeks that will compete for your time and attention, but my prayer is that you'll go with me on this journey. Let's start here today. Here's a great starting place. God wants you to be healthier. You know, you could say, well, Mark, I'm just really, I'm, you know, I run into to these young uh, new springers at the, at the Y, and they just all love showing me how buff and how ripped they are, and, and, I'm, and I'm cool with that. That's a great thing. And I always think, well, wait till you see what time and gravity does with that body. But um, <laughs> even if you're in that situation or, you, you know, you're like a long way away from being physically healthy, Here's what I do know. I, I know that God wants you to be healthier. You, you, you could be that epitome of health, and yet you can still take forward steps, can't you? So I know God wants you to be healthy. You say, Mark, how do you know that? You're just blowing sunshine at us? There's a chapter, and actually there's a book in the Bible that's just one chapter. It's called Third John, and the elderly apostle who was Jesus' apostle, he's the one Jesus gave his mama to at the cross, but now he's 90 years old, and the Holy Spirit is speaking through him to individual members of a church just like you. And here is the verse that we're, we need to read. Dear friend, I am praying that all is well with you. Well, that's our goal in this series. It's God's wish that everything is well with you. Your marriage, your relationships, your finances, your physical body, your spiritual life. Look at this. I am praying that all is well with you and that your body is as healthy as I know your soul is. Do you hear that? God is saying, I want your body to be healthy and I want your soul to be healthy. Hey, I don't want to get off into theology, but do you know what the soul is? I mean, by and large, the soul is comprised of three elements. Your mind, your emotions, and your, your passion, your will. That's your soul. It is the essence of who you are. Now, God is saying, I want your body to be healthy. I understand because of various reasons, physical limitations, age, illnesses. Maybe we'll never be perfectly healthy, but God is saying, I want your body to be as well as it can possibly be. And then God is saying, I want your mind, I want your emotions, I want your passions to be healthy. Wouldn't that be beautiful? I mean, you know, if, you're, if your mind, you know, you could just have peace and be healthy in your mind. If, I would love that. If my emotions could be healthy... Because a lot of times our emotions are going all over the page, aren't they? And God is like, I want you to have healthy emotions. And then our passions. Wouldn't it be great if the stuff that drives us, the stuff that we're excited about, wouldn't it be great if that could be healthy? Well, how cool is that? God is saying, I want your body to be healthy, and I want your mind and your emotions and your passions to be healthy as well. God wants you to have your best life. I'd like to see that. Hey, you may laugh at me. I'm 62 years old, but I think my best is yet to come. I think tomorrow should be better than today. I think six months from now should be better. I believe the best is yet to come. Why do I say that? Again, I'm not blowing sunshine at you. In the book of Luke chapter 15, there is a great verse that's one of my all-time favorites, and I'll tell you how, how it comes to us. Jesus is telling the story of what we call the prodigal son. This is a kid that blew up his life. He didn't like his dad's rules. He didn't like living the uphill life of truth. He, was, he wanted to live the life that he could fall backward into, do the easiest thing. So he went to his dad and he said, hey, dad, I don't want to wait till you die. I want you to give me my inheritance now. And this 
crazy kid goes up, blows up his life, blows through his dad's inheritance with prostitutes and, you know, we, today we would say with drugs and just party life. I mean, he blows up his life, embarrasses his dad, and he winds up, and we talked about how that not being healthy shrinks your life. It shrunk it to a hog pen because the only job he can get is feeding hogs. He's gone through all his money. And while he's down there, he doesn't have enough food to eat. He starts having this, uh-oh moment. Hey, time out for a moment. Jesus told this story. Probably was a literal dad and a literal kid. But really, in this story, the dad is God and the kid is me. Because after all, we all got God's resources when we came into this world, didn't we? We got our inheritance up front. He gave us life. He gave us health. He gave us air to breathe, water to drink, clothes to wear. Well, what happens? We go our own way. So just file that away. So this kid starts having this uh uh-oh moment like some of us had. How many of us have come to God from the hog pens of life, right? Our choices. And then we wind up in the hog pen and we're like, "Uh uh-oh, I need to go back and get with God, which is great. If, If you're there today, come home. This kid starts thinking to himself, he said, you know, even the hired hands who work for my dad, they have plenty to eat. So I'm going to go back home and I'm going to tell my dad, I'm not fit to be your kid anymore. Would you just hire me? And he goes home. And again, remember the kid is us and the dad is God. The kid comes home and he says to the dad, hey, dad, I don't, I'm not fit to be your son anymore. Just make me a hired hand. Now we get to the verse that's one of my favorites in the Bible. In fact, I think maybe my favorite line is in this verse. Because here comes this kid who's embarrassed his dad, blown through his inheritance. You would expect the dad to just go ballistic on him and kick him off the property. But instead, the father, the the dad runs to meet him, puts his arms around him, and here's what he said. Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Now, I tell you, I love those first four words. Bring out the best. Because I believe that's what God wants for Mark today. I believe God says, bring out the best for Mark. Now, sometimes I get stubborn and I keep that from happening, but that's God's wish for my life. He wants to bring out the best. He wants to bring out the best for you. You haven't seen the best yet, maybe, but that's God's wish is that you won't bump along the bottom in life just mailing it in, burning up years and marking time until you die. God wants you to experience the best. God says, bring out the best for her. Bring out the best for him. Well, God doesn't want you to have the best, though, just so that you can use it for yourself. God wants you to experience the best life you can possibly have for three reasons. God wants you to be your best so that you can do your best, so that you can give your best. I want to say that one more time. That's all I'm going to talk about today for the next few minutes. God wants you to be your best, but not just so that you can squander it and live for yourself. God wants you to be your best so you can do your best in order that you can Give your best to God. Does that sound attractive? It does to me, and I hope it does to you. But here's the thing, and again, our, our message is only going to be probably another 10 or 12 minutes. Maybe, maybe a little longer. <laughs> in, in order to be your best, you've got to do one thing. In order to do your best, you've got to do one thing. In order to give your best, you've got to do one thing. So here's what I'm going to do in this message. I'm going to talk about the three things that you have to do in order to be your best, do your best, and give your best. Let's talk about being your best because that's what we want. We want to be the best we've ever been. We want, to, we want to live our lives the best it can possibly be. In order to be your best, here's what you're going to have to do. You will have to close the inconsistency gap in your life. Tell you what I mean by that. I'm trying really hard to stay away from a word, hypocrisy. 
Because oftentimes, those of us who have a standard that we don't live up to, we're called hypocrites. In fact, I've heard people say that. There, there are a lot of hypocrites in the church. But a lot of times, what's called a hypocrite is not really a hypocrite. Um, what, the reason why they, they look at the church and say the people are in the church are hypocrites is that we articulate a standard, but our lives don't match that standard. Well, being a hypocrite would be if you pretended that your life did match the standard. That's what hypocrisy would be. But just because there's a gap doesn't mean you're a hypocrite. For instance, um, I want to lose weight. I think some of us here today might want to lose a few pounds. Now, I've struggled with weight all my adult life. Um, if someone came to me and said, Mark, uh, I want to be healthier. How can I be healthy? How can I have a healthy weight? I would say to them, okay, you need to eat a healthy diet and you need to exercise and take care of your body. Now, the thing about it is if you put a polygraph, tat, polygraph on me, I mean, you strap me down to a polygraph machine, I would pass because that is what I believe. But the problem that I have is that Mark doesn't always live up to the standard that he knows is true. I believe the standard. I'm not a hypocrite. I just can't seem to close that inconsistency gap, working on that. Um, if you're, many of you are Christ followers. If somebody came to you and, you said, and they said, I want to get closer to God, and you would say to them, well, if you want to get close to God, you need to read your Bible every day because that's God speaking truth into your life. You need to pray and talk to God, and you need to build your relationship with God. Hey, how many of us would pass a polygraph if someone asked us how to get closer to God? But then how many of us can get to the end of the week and say, hey, I only really read my Bible twice this week? Are you a hypocrite? No, you're not a hypocrite. You just have a, a gap. There's a gap between what you know to be true and how you live your life. I mean, here's the thing. If someone came to you and me and said, how can I have healthy finances? We would say, well, you know, like, like the old timers used to teach me, if your outgo exceeds your income, your upkeep will be your downfall. I mean, you got to live within your means and you don't use the plastic and like do the Dave Ramsey thing that we have coming up and put your cash in the envelope. And when you get through with the cash, there may be too much month at the end of the money, but that's how it is. You got to live within your means. Hey, listen, I mean, those who are struggling with finances, we know that to be true. As I said, we'd pass a polygraph test if someone said, do you really believe that? But the problem is we go to the sale. And the sale, and you look at that and you think, if I don't buy it today, I may never, ever, ever in my life have a chance to buy that sweater, so I better get it today. Or Lord forbid, you go to the new car dealership and smell that new car. And it's like, I could make these payments if I don't pay my mortgage. Uh, right? It's not that we don't believe the right thing about finances. It's that there's an inconsistency gap. And I stress one more time. It's not a hypocrite. You're not a hypocrite. See, here's the thing. A person would be a hypocrite if they pretended they were doing the right thing when they weren't doing the right thing. So with that in mind today, all I'm saying to us, if we truly want to be our best, we have to shrink that inconsistency gap. You'll never close it completely until you get to heaven. It's one of the things I really look forward to in heaven. But we can shrink it. In other words, whatever the gap is, if you're worried about or concerned about your, your physical health, whatever that gap is between the standard that you know to be true and how you're living your life, if you can shrink that gap, you'll get healthier. In your marriage, whatever that gap is between what you know to be true and the way you're treating your, mate, your husband or wife, You'll never be a perfect husband, but if you can shrink that gap and go home today, and this is one of the reasons why I think this series is so important, you won't be able to go home and jump flat-footed to the moon and suddenly be healthy in your marriage, but you can improve it right now. You can start doing the things that you know are true. Now, we've got to be careful about something. This is big. 
21st century America, this is huge. Our culture's answer is to dumb things down and stop being honest about the standard in pursuit of sympathy. And that's the way we are today. We don't want to shame anybody. That's important. That's good. And we don't, we don't want anybody to feel bad. So what we do is we say, well, okay, there's this gap uh, between what you believe and what you know to be true and how you're living your life. So let's just dumb it down. And let's, because after all, I'm sympathetic. I'm sympathetic with what you're going through. So let's just say it doesn't really matter, you know. Well, that's the wrong thing to do. Because as we said a few moments ago, in order to be healthy, well, we've got to hear the truth. And the truth is always uphill. And health won't come naturally. And we need to hear continual messaging. Well, what if the continual messaging is forget about the standard and just do whatever is comfortable? Now, I think one of the reasons, and maybe this will take some of the pressure off of us that are caught in the pinchers with trying to be sympathetic to people who are going through challenges and, and without willing, wishing to, we dumb down the standard. The reason we do that is that we have heard judging. We've heard judgmentalism. Now, here's, again, sometimes we're accused of being judgmental when we're just articulating God's standards. That's not being judgmental. But judgmentalism is honesty without hope. That's what judging sounds like. And so what happens a lot of times, we see people go through the pain of being judged with that honesty without hope. And then it's like, oh, we don't want you to not, you know, we don't want you to feel bad. So consequently, we're going to take the honesty away. Well, honesty without hope is a bad thing. You know, that's when someone, you know, that's where we, we, we hear names being called. You're dumb, you're stupid, you're fat, you're lazy, so on and so forth. That is honesty without hope. What does a kid do when a kid hears you're lazy? Well, there's no hope there. But listen to me, please. Please hear my heart. There is only one place in the universe where there is honesty without hope, and that's hell. The people that are there, they're in a situation, honestly, they're never going to get out. They're going to suffer there the rest of eternity. But there's no hope. But as long as you're breathing, as long as you're willing to embrace the honesty, there is hope. So it's not that you erase the standard, it's that you embrace the standard and you're honest about it, but that you see the hope that is available to get there. One of the greatest examples in the Bible is in an extreme case of a man who had nothing left to offer God. He was dying on a cross. He deserved to die on the cross. He was going to be dead in maybe minutes or at least hours, and he's dying on a cross next to Jesus. And again, remember, he has nothing to offer God. Honesty. He has honesty. He says to the other thief, we deserve to be here. We, I connect the dots. My choices put me on a cross. I deserve to be here. But there's also hope. He said, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. So I get it. Honesty without hope is devastating. But hope without honesty is fraud. Can I say it one more time? Hope without honesty is fraud. That's what's wrong with the Ponzi scheme. Barney Madoff ring a bell. People invested billions of dollars with him. They had hope. But there was no truth behind it. And every time we say to somebody, hey, you can have hope, but we're not honest about the uphill nature of truth, well, it's a fraud. And we're not really being sympathetic. That's kind of boutique sympathy. It's kind of saccharine, artificial sympathy. It's not real sympathy. It's not real compassion. Because true compassion is always honesty and hope. Can I say this? Oftentimes in our world today, people are told, hey, if you can't meet the standard, then you just go ahead and do what you want to do. And often it's sin. 
And guys, please hear me. If you ever heard me say anything, please hear this. Sin never cured anybody's problem. So in other words, if somebody's in a difficult circumstance and we can say, just go ahead and sin, it's not curing them. It's not going to help anybody. So that's the first thing. If you want to be your best, and we do, then the key to being our best is to close the inconsistency gap. Let's go to work on that today. Now let's talk about doing our best. The key to doing our best is developing good habits. One of the things that I lecture on when I talk to the corporate world about being successful is the importance of momentum. The reason why I caught that shopping basket is I got my running up to a speed where after a while there was a momentum that allowed me to catch the basket. Momentum is always what allows us to be successful in life. This is the reason why New Year's resolutions fail, is oftentimes we never get any momentum. And we know it's the right thing, we believe it's the right thing, we know we need to change our lives, but we never do it long enough to establish a habit and consequently we never get any momentum. So let me give you a construct to work with in regard to doing your best. Momentum is what allows us to be successful. Good habits are what bring momentum and repetition is what builds good habits. So ultimately, if you want to get to doing your best, it all starts with repetition because you repeat the right thing over and over until it becomes a habit and a habit will ultimately become momentum. Terrible illustration, but it's the best one I can think of. I never typed till I was 35. I got through college by the grace of God and Mary Alice. Mary Alice typed everything I ever turned in when I was in college. I just never learned. Now, if you're under 40 years old, you have no idea what I'm about to talk about, so just sort of take this as a museum conversation. <laughs> Back in the day when we started using personal computers, not many people had one because they cost as much as a car. And so in the early days of my ministry, I'm in my very early 30s, and, and our church was beginning to grow. We were at our old location, and I didn't have much of a staff, and I lived my life exhausted, and my board was worried about me. And they would always say things to me like this, and a lot of them were engineers and, and entrepreneurs and successful businessmen. They said, hey, Mark, if you had a computer, it would give you back a day a week. Well, I didn't know how to type, and I didn't want to admit it. So I made jokes about people who use computers. And, and I never will forget, though, after, after several months of that, we had a meeting in, in, in the, board, the board meeting. They said, Pastor, here's what we're going to do. We're going to buy a computer, and we're going to put it on your desk, and you don't ever have to use it, but you're going to have to look at it every day. I knew I was dead. So, and again, if you're under 40, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Just hear me on this. We used to buy our software in little boxes at the store. We didn't download it. And so I went, <laughs> I went to the software store, and I bought a program called Mavis Beacon Teaches Typing. <laughs> and again, you have no idea. I took the floppy disk out. <laughs> what a name. Did they ever come up with a better name than floppy disk? <laughs> I put the floppy disk in the bay, <laughs> and I started learning the home keys. Now, can you imagine? I'm 35 years old. I'm senior leader of a great church, and I'm in my office going, A-S. And then I got the other keys, and, and it wasn't long. And for, for years, I've typed everything, and I type vibes. I'm really a pretty fast typist. Now, here's what's strange about that. If someone came to me with an unmarked keyboard, and held a gun to my head and said, unless you can name every key on this keyboard, with them being blank, I'm going to shoot you. I'm going to say, well, you're just going to have to send me to see Jesus. <laughs> because I have no way of telling you which keys are which. How can I type if I don't know which key is which? 
Repetition. See, repetition makes habits, and habits build momentum. And the reason why most of us can't be successful in life at things we want to be successful for is that we never, because here's the deal, it's not, like, it's not like we don't believe the right thing. It's not like we don't want to do the right thing. The problem is we don't do the right thing over and over and over again long enough to build a habit so that we get momentum, which will ultimately carry us, up, carry us where we need to go. Now, you're going to laugh at me on this one, so go ahead and get it out of your system. As this next illustration is really corny, and I'll admit right up front it is. But while I was working on this sermon, I need to throw a piece of paper away. And I, I, I throw paper away in a particular way, and it's kind of strange. And frankly, between you and me, I've been doing this for almost 40 years. Tell you how it came down. In my early 20s, I was bivocational. Jonathan was born in Marianne, so I stay at home. So I wound up not only being associate pastor of a church, I wound up teaching part-time at a really high-end, ultra-high academics private school. I had never had any teaching experience. So when we went into training before the school year began that first time, I was hanging on every word. But you have to understand, this school not only had a lot of rules for students, it had a lot of rules for teachers, and I was there with other 20-somethings who were probably starting their teaching career. And a lot of them were in love with the students obeying the rules, but they weren't in love with teachers obeying the rules. And so, you, you know, they never, and, and we were being trained by one of the greatest educators I've ever met in my life. She was our principal of the middle school, vice principal of the entire unit. Brilliant, brilliant leader. And she was training us. And as she was telling us what the rules were, a lot of these 20-somethings, they didn't say anything, but they were sort of rolling their eyes. And in the breaks, they would just be clear about how unhappy they were about all the crazy rules that we have for teachers. But never forget when Nancy came in and said, now I'm going to tell you how to throw away paper. <laughs> how to throw away paper? I mean, you know, I'm a college graduate. All of us are college graduates. Go, tell us how to throw away paper? She said, yes. She said, now let me show you what we don't do. She said, we don't crumple up paper. Because she said, although it may not make a lot of noise if one person does it, if you've got 25 students and they're all crumpling up paper at the same time, it gets really loud and distracts the classroom. And beyond that, she said, when you crumple up paper like this, it fills up the trash can a lot faster. So she said, here's how we're going to throw away paper. She said, you fold it once, and you fold it again, and you just lay it in the trash can. And you know what? When I was working on the sermon, I had to throw away a piece of paper. No, I did. I folded it twice and dropped it in the wastebasket. Now, let me tell you what I remember about that day. The other teachers were just furious about this. And, and when the break happened, I heard stuff like, are you kidding me? They're going to tell me how to throw paper away. I've been throwing paper away for 22 years. I know how to throw paper away. They're not going to tell me how to throw paper away. And yet, after all this time, I still do it. Why did it work with me? Now, like I said, that's, that's silly, but where I'm going to get to right now is, is oh, man, this could, be, this could be that line in your life that marks success on one side and failure on the other. Two things. Somebody showed me a better way, and I submitted to the process. You know, I've told you this before, but when my boys were growing up, I used to say there are four groups of people in the world. You've heard me say this before. I said there's the smart and the humble. They rule the world. They always over, they, they just, they're the people that know what they're doing. Then I said there's the, there's the dumb and the humble. That's me. That's the best I can ever hope for. But the dumb and the humble are always overproducing. They're always amazing people. And then there's the smart and the stubborn. And these are people that are smart, but they're stubborn. They always underachieve. 
And they're always upset because they underachieve. And then I always tell my boys, group four, that's stubborn and stupid. That is stupid locked in. In fact, sometimes when they were growing up, I'd just hold up four, four fingers. <laughs> group four, stubborn and stupid, stupid locked in. You know what stubborn and stupid, stupid locked in is? It's, I don't want to hear a better way, and if I hear a better way, I don't want to submit to the process because you know what? I've been spending money for 20 years. Nobody needs to tell me how to spend my money. Hey, I've been eating for years. Nobody needs to tell me how to eat healthy. I like this food. This is what I like. Nobody's going to... Yeah, group four, (laughs) stupid locked in. Hey, I know in my life, I still have a lot of this, and I want to get to the right way. What if somebody could show me a better way? That's what this series is about. What if somebody could show us a better way? And what if we submitted to the process? It changed our lives. That's how to be healthy. And so in order to do your best, you have to have habits in your life. If, when you learn a better way, then you do it and you repeat it. And then ultimately, you have success in life and you're able to do your best. Okay, I'm in overtime probably, but let me get to this last one. And this will probably only make sense to you if God is in your life. But I think we need to ask, what's the ultimate purpose of being healthy? Like I said, it's not to get into your swimsuit in July. Although that's cool if you do. It's a good byproduct. Hey, did you notice, when I talked about the three things we want, did you notice that there was America's favorite one that was missing? I said we, we want to be our best so we can do our best so that we can give our best. Did you hear, did you hear that we didn't say look our best? Oh, we're, we're so caught up in appearance. Why do we want to be our best so we can do our best? Well, I want to take you to a verse of Scripture that's kind of an unusual place to go. I want to take you to Revelation chapter 4. And as far as I can tell, this is uh, about when we all get to heaven for the first time. I think it happens right after the rapture. And it's like all of us around the throne where Jesus is. Let me read this to you. They, that's us, fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and for your will or by your will they exist and were created. Okay, get this picture in your head as much as you can. We're in heaven and the award ceremonies only happen, already happen. What happens to the award ceremony? We are rewarded for what we've done. Like some of you gave in Project Generosity and you gave from a pure heart and you may have sacrificed. It might not have been a lot to the world, but it was a lot to you. And you gave and you love, you love Jesus, so you, so you did it. And so when you get to heaven, you're gonna have Jesus say, I saw that, I saw that, that was great. Or you, maybe you served here at New Spring and you volunteered and you did a job that was, it wasn't like me standing on stage. It was one of those things that nobody else saw, but you did it and you were here early and you were, you were here late and you did it because you love God and Jesus is gonna say, that, that was great, I saw that. Or maybe you were in a difficult situation in life and even though you weren't treated well, you gave the love of Jesus. I think you're especially Jesus is gonna say, I saw that. And then there's gonna be that moment where I don't know if these are literal crowns or if they're just prizes that God is gonna give us. Let's assume for the moment they're literal crowns. And here's Jesus and he calls you forward and he gives you a crown to wear. And it's like, wow, this is beautiful. I mean, it fits just right. And 
And this is wonderful. And it's like, wow, I got this crown from Jesus. And like other people are looking at it in heaven. That's really cool. But then it's going to come the time for worship. And there's Jesus, and he's so wonderful. And we're going to look at it, and we're going to think we would have no hope if it hadn't been for him. If he hadn't died on the cross to save us, we wouldn't even have a chance. And beyond that, look at this. I'm in this magnificent place. And here is the thing that we're going to feel at that moment. We're going to think, you know what? I don't have any business having any glory in his presence. Man, for what he's done for me, I just don't have any business wearing a crown. And so the verse says we're going to take our crowns off, and we're going to lay them at the feet of Jesus because he is worthy Now, let me tell you why we want to be healthy, those of us who are God followers. In this life, we've been given a body, and we've been given a mind, we've been given emotions, and we've given will. And what we want to do is we want to be at our very best. We want to be the best that we can possibly be, and we want to do the best that we can possibly do with the opportunities that we have in life so that we can take our lives, take our bodies, and say, I'm not worthy for the glory of what you have made me to be, I want to lay my life at Jesus' feet. If you saw, if you saw the New Year's sermon I preached online, I, I, was, I told everyone that I preached my first sermon when I was 16 years old, New Year's Eve 1972. And I want to close with the verse that I preached from that night. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, this is in the message. The Bible says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. I want to be healthy. I want to be healthier. I want to be my best. I want to see my best. I want to see what my best is. I want to be my best. And with all the opportunities God has given me in life, I want to do my best so that I can turn around and give my best to Jesus. What does it take to give your best? And we've already said, hey, if you want to be your best, you've got to shrink the inconsistency gap. If you want to do your best, you have to build habits. What do you have to do if you want to be your best or give your best? Well, the answer is simple. You just have to want to. You just have to want to. And God help us. Would you go on the journey with me? We've got seven more weeks. And we won't be the same people when it's all over as we are right now. May God bless you. Thank you for being here. We'll see you next week.